Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of Welcome to Fatherhood Interview. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, my brother? I'm well, man. How you doing? Man, it is hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's, man, everywhere is hot. Everywhere. Chicago, man, it's, it's, it's crazy, but you know, the air conditioner is working, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, pleased to announce we have a special guest, Ben Utek. Am I saying your name right? Yeah, you got it too, Royce. Yep, it's good. Perfect. So uh, tell us, Ben, about yourself, man, about your journey. Uh, so uh, what do you do for a living and for a purpose? And also uh, how many kids you got and what are their ages? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Listen, you know, it was, it was great to meet you and just so excited for your passion. And I, I, I'm... I have, I understand very well the importance of being a great father. And so, you know, to, to be able to be on here with you is an honor. So thank you so much for that. Um, been quite a journey. I mean, most of my life has been as an athlete and played seven years in the NFL, was blessed to be on a Super Bowl championship team. It ended due to injury, unfortunately, but set me on a, on a new path, uh, which really is all about people. Um, I am a chief culture officer and everything that I bring to organizational culture in corporate America comes out of what I learned from my Hall of Fame coach, Tony Dungy, and the power of servant leadership. The belief that if you build better people, you get better performance. You know, his, his main goal in football was to build a family and the acronym for family in football is forget about me, I love you. And it's this idea that selfless, selflessness and in humility are principles that build loyalty, trust, and commitment to levels that, that um, are not able to be dismantled. And so, you know, that, that's what I'm passionate about now. I have four daughters, believe it or not, so pray for me every day, please. <laughs> four girls, five women in my life every day. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, but it's man, it's it's elevated my my role as a man in in this world, and I'm so blessed for that. And these are incredible women, and and um, I'm learning so much more about myself as a man, being a father to four incredible uh, young women than ever before. So the ages are 13. We have identical twins that are 11, and our six-year-old turns seven at the end of the month. So it's a busy time, but it's a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you go into like some of the things that you've learned from having four dollars and being the only man in the house? Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> how much time? How much time do we have, Doc? Huh? As much um, time as we need. Listen, man. <laughs> I, I, I think, in you know, and I can speak obviously only to my household, but. But the importance of listening, being a really good listener, not not just a not just um, not just listening as a facade, but but listening intentionally uh, with empathy um, has been really a critical lesson that I've had to grow and learn. Because you know, I'm just gonna I'm a, I've always been a vulnerable guy, so I'm just gonna be honest with you. I mean, it's you know, oftentimes myself selfishness gets in the way of being able to do things well as a, as a father. 
and and listening well and, and having the humility to you know to really listen with intentionality and empathy has probably been one of my greatest lessons but the 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 more I develop that skill and the better I get at it, um, the more my girls trust me and the more they begin to actually be vulnerable with me and actually talk to me uh, because they see me as an advocate and they see me as a protector and somebody that it has their best interests at hand. And so I'm, I'm, I'm striving. I'm doing whatever I can to, to grow in those areas. Can you talk about... Uh your daughters a little bit more. So uh, which one of your daughters is, is most like you out of the four? Oh my gosh. What a good question. <laughs> I feel like, Oh, that's hard to answer. Cause they each, they each have unique characteristics. Like my Alora, my firstborn is a perfectionist and, and, and she's a people pleaser. Yeah. And, and, and so am I, I, I care deeply about, I'm, I lead with my heart in everything that I do. And a lot of times that builds deep and meaningful relationships. Other times it gets me into trouble because I, I trust people too much and I get taken advantage of because of that. That's totally her, you know, um, my, my twins are, they're a little bit more, um, fierce and rebellious, uh, which I was a pastor's kid and I kind of had my, I had my seasons where I, you know, I went off and did my thing you know, and had to find myself. And, and, but because of that, you know, there was a competitive nature. There was an aggressiveness that, that I needed to have in order to be successful. And they, they kind of carry that. My youngest daughter, my six-year-old Haven, she is just a free spirit, man. She's just life of the party, wakes up with a smile, goes to bed with a smile, you know, so she kind of, and, and I'm all, I've always been high free spirited, um, charismatic, you know, and energetic. And so they each kind of carry a unique part of me. I think that I've enjoyed, you know, watching, you know, come out of them as they've continued to grow as young women. So you talked about being a, a pastor's uh, son or a pastor's child. Can you talk about that and um, tell us a little bit more about your dad? Yeah. What a great question, man. I, Super blessed um, to have a dad. And I guess I, I guess you have to grow up in the church to maybe understand it. But um, one of the things that was so impactful about my relationship with my father is that he brought the ministry home. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that, you know, he practiced what he preached, basically. You know, what, what, what he was doing every week in order to improve people's lives at church is, is what he brought home. And because he brought it home and because he loved my mom that way and he loved my sister that way and he loved me that way, I was drawn towards the power of faith because, because he lived it out so well. Now, he wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong. I mean, none of, none of us had perfect dads, right? We never had perfect situations. Um, we didn't grow up with much, didn't have a lot of money and um, had to struggle for, for, you know, for a lot of things, never lived in our own house, always lived in a church parsonage, you know, always lived in a, a, a house given to us by the church. But what was happening in the house was, was authentic and it was meaningful. And, and so that was, that was something that really, I mean, 
I think I always talk about my dad being one of my greatest mentors, be, not cli- not as a cliche, but because he really was. I mean, he, you know, I learned most of what it means to be a, a good man from him. And that's, that's priceless. That was, it's been priceless for me. So when you mentioned um, your dad, like what, what um, advice did he give you like uh, growing up? Man, one of the things that I'll never forget is when he taught me about the importance of uh, what it means to be submissive, what it means to have the humility to apologize when you have been wrong. And um, my parents practiced that. I'll never forget, man. We had moments where we'd have these kind of like family meetings. My, you know, my, my dad being a marriage counselor, my mom had a counseling degree as well. So we, we had a family that really practiced um, communication. Uh-huh. And so we would have these, we'd have these opportunities to, to be vulnerable with, with our parents. And there were, there were times growing up where I was very honest with them. Like, you know, the way that you're treating me or the things that you've said have been hurtful. And, uh-huh. and, and to my surprise, they would acknowledge that they didn't understand what I was going through in the moment. And they apologized for saying things or doing things that were, that were hurtful to me at the time. And that was so, man, you talk about like, you talk about a powerful message, like to, you know, for parents to be able to show their children that, that they're not always perfect and that they get things wrong too. Right. And listen, I, I have used that so many times with these young girls. I mean, it is so critical. It has been so important for me. And my dad has coached me in this. Um, When I'm, when I'm wrong, you know, to fall on my sword and to get, you know, to get in front of these girls and and to show them like, look, man, I should not have said that to you the way that I said it to you. And I'm sorry for hurting you. And I'm going to do better because that raises the bar, man. Like that, that shows them how a man should be treating them so that when they do start to, to pursue relationships with other men, they've got that expectation because their dad did that for them. I mean, that's my hope and prayer is that that's, those are the kind of things that are going to kind of have the impact on them as they begin to pursue those, you know, relationships with men in the future. Yeah, that's big, man. Um, I remember one time where I had to apologize to my son and um, it wasn't anything that I did, but it, it was something that I didn't do in, in that moment. Um, he was probably like seven or eight and he, he wrestled. And it was his first year wrestling. And um, his second meet, like, you know, at wrestling meets, you could wait all day before you wrestle. So we were waiting for a long time. And then they finally called him up. And then the kid that he was supposed to wrestle was like, he was visibly like bigger than my son. And he looked older. But um, I didn't say anything, you know. I was just looking at it like, you know, he. This is a good opportunity for him to, to practice his moves, learn, 
you know, go against somebody that might be stronger than them, you know, learn how to overcome that. So they started wrestling and the kid, he, he beat my son pretty bad. My son started crying during the match. And, um, you know, he, he pinned my son. So then he came, you know, my son came back over. He was crying. I'm telling telling him, you know, like, it's okay. You know, you got another match. You can come back. So then the second match, the same meet, the it was another kid. He wasn't as big as the first kid, but he was still, like, he still looked like he was older than seven or eight <laughs> and still a lot bigger. So, you know, I sent him back out there. Same thing happened. Like, he started crying, and then he got pinned. So my son now is um, – he's 15. And I think this is maybe, like, two years ago. From that time, I always thought to myself, like, man, I should have said something. Or I should have stepped – you know, protected him from that. And um, maybe, like, two, two years ago, I had called him in my room because it was just on my mind so much. I called him in my room, and I was like, you know um, – Malcolm, because his name is Malcolm, you know, um, in the wrestling meet when you was, you know, wrestling those big kids, I should have, I should have stepped in and, and said something. And um, he was like, you still thinking about that? <laughs> 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 so, you know, all this time I felt bad, but it, you know, he was over it. <laughs> so, but yeah, just uh, being able to apologize for you know things that you say, things that you do, that or that you should have done is it, big. It's so funny you say that because I've I've heard uh, I've heard uh, I heard a funny comedian kind of describe the difference between like boys and girls, and 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 he said that like boys are like coming down Christmas morning, and under the underneath the tree, he, he was describing boys and girls as presents, and he was saying that that boys are like Christmas presents. You come down Christmas morning and under the tree is one present and you open it up and that's exactly what you get. Girls, you come downstairs and there is a sea of presents and you open up one of them and inside is another wrapped present. <laughs> you, just, you just keep opening up the presents. Yeah, yeah like, like the uh, Russian dolls, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, boys can, they, they can just, and I'm just speaking from having a couple of nephews. They can just they can just throw they can throw that stuff aside. My girls hang on to everything, man. It's, it's, it's like you have to you got to have you got to have patience, and you got to you got to be able to um, to deal with the stuff that as men doesn't come easily. Yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, your daughters are getting older. Uh, have you talked to your daughters about uh, dating? Yes. Yeah. We've, we've <laughs> yeah, we've had, we've had the conversations and, and, you know, we, you know, a few years ago, I think Alora, my oldest was about 11 and the twins were nine. And so we, we kind of brought them into a room. We kind of had the birds and the bees. We had the sex oh. education uh, <laughs> conversation together and, and we had a we decided to use kind of a system, a learning system that that also brought faith into it, and just talked you know about about they what what was so nice about it was attaching um, companionate love and relational love to the physical act of reproduction, right? So it, it wasn't just 
it, it was describing to them what takes place in order to create life, but doing it in a way that re- was grounded in unconditional love for another person, which was really powerful. And so that, that ended up going pretty well, but I'll, I will say like my, my, kind of my whole, my whole thing in my, with my girls, it's like, is speaking to them as a protector. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be a helicopter dad, or maybe I am trying to be a helicopter dad. Let me just own it. Let me just own it. <laughs> but I do, I, I, you know, ever since I could communicate to them and they understand, I've always just described myself as a protector. Like my goal is to make sure that you are safe and that you're okay. Um, and that goes for every aspect of your life. So we're going to have a lot of disagreements. We're going to have times where you just, you don't understand me at all, but please just know that every decision I'm making, whether you agree with it or not, is because I am, I love you and I'm trying to protect you. And so that's kind of been the approach I've taken. So Sir Royce, my whole thing with dating is like, here's my thing. If you want to date my daughter, you got to date me first. That's my thing. I have no idea how it's going to go because we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. And I've told people this and I've had some people say, you're crazy. Like, what are you thinking? That's going to blow up. I've had others say that they love the idea. So here's my thing. I'm not against them dating. I want them to meet. I want them to meet good men. I know it's going to, I know it's going to have, I know the whole process is going to have a positive impact on their maturity on their maturation process but there's a part of me that's like you know i gotta help them i gotta help them weed out the the losers Mm. and the way to do it is you know if you want to date my daughter you i I want you my daughter to date so tell the tell the young men listen my dad i I can i can date but you got to call him you got to be man enough to call him and you got to take him out you're going to bring him going to go to Starbucks or what are you going to, you're going to take him out and you're going to be man enough to call him, to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is that dumb? You guys are laughing. No, it's, no, that's, that's great. Like the location matters. I, Where are you taking my daughter? Show me. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can't let chivalry die. There's got to be some degree to which we, we help it's not about it's not only about it's not only about developing if you have daughters this is my perspective it's not only about developing them into and empowering them to be the strongest women they're capable of but it's also being willing to develop the men who pursue them into the best leaders that they're capable of being and that's going to be one of my biggest challenges because I I hate the thought of, you know, another guy taking my daughter. I just hate it. I hate it. I'm not, I'm not excited about it. But I do believe just because, you know, because Tony Dungy changed my life. My life was changed by a coach. Hmm. So, you know, how selfish of me if I don't actually take what I learned from someone like Tony Dungy and give it to somebody else. And so, you know, the best chance my daughters have of, of, 
of, you know, choosing a man that's going to be the best for them for their life is if I take an active part in developing them as leaders and pursuing them. And so as much as I'm not looking forward to it, that's what I'm going to try and do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, man. The, the kids nowadays are a little bit different. Do you think a, a boy will have, like, the courage to actually call you and then take you out for, for coffee? Hey, I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Like, you know, if you want what you want, then you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be put do into what a you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you can't call me and take me out, it, and I told my daughters, like, hey, tell them, this is not, I'm not going to be, he's not going to pull up. and I'm going to be cleaning my guns. And I'm, listen, I'm not that guy. You can tell him like, my dad is cool. He just wants to, he wants to get to know you, wants to hang out. So don't freak out. Just give him a call. You know, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it into practice. Yeah. I, I hope it does, man. <laughs> <laughs> So can you um, can you talk about your relationship with T- Tony Dungy? Sure. So, you know, Coach Dungy and I both played for the same college. Uh, he came out of Michigan, but was the first um, black quarterback to play. Um, I wonder. I think it's in. It might even be in the in the Big Ten um, for the University of Minnesota, and then. I grew up in Minnesota, small river town kid right on the Mississippi and uh, decided to stay home and play, play for the Gophers. And so our relationship began there first. Um, but he was really my miracle journey to the NFL. I had a pretty serious injury my senior year. I was supposed to be a potential first round draft pick, but I ended up having a pretty serious abdominal tear and took me out of the draft. But but Dungy made a commitment in front of about 700 people uh, at, a, at an event when he said, you know, for some reason you slipped through the cracks, I'll be the first person to call. And sure enough, at the draft, all of the doctors red flagged me because I got this injury. And so my only chances of making it to the NFL are through the free agency. I'm still injured. And the free agent market opens seconds after the phone rings on my agent's desk. And who was it? It was Tony Dungy. He's the first person to call. And he said, we, we know how talented you are when you're healthy. We're going to send you to the top doctor in the country. We're going to get you surgery. Um, we don't expect you to play the first year, just get better. We'll, we'll pay you as though you're a plain rookie. And, and here's a little signing bonus, just so you know, we were excited about you. And 12 months after that, I start against the Buff, uh, the Baltimore Ravens at Sunday night kickoff against Ray Lewis, scored a touchdown. The rest is history. I played seven years, started as a tight end, won Super Bowl 2006. Unfortunately, I had a, I had a concussion that took me out, but none of that happens without Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is... What you, what you hear, what you see is exactly who that man is. Authentic, empowering, selfless, everything. Yeah, one of the best men that I know in my life. 
So the year y'all won was the year y'all played my team. Yeah. The Bears. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so opening kickoff, Devin Hester runs it back. I was going to ask that. You'll always, you'll always I'm on the floor the... doing the curly, bro. I'm, I'm doing the 360 curly on the floor. Like, we about to win this thing. Let's go. Let's go there. I'm screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs, bro. I'm telling you. So, the game. So, how does the game go from your point of view? <laughs> It's so funny because as you were doing as you were doing those twirls, I was about to throw up. I was so <laughs> don't kick the Devin. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's funny because when I speak, I tell this story where it's like from my perspective, like Adam Vinatieri already won three Super Bowls with the Patriots, kicks kick kickoff Super Bowl 41. Up goes soaring into the Miami Dolphin Stadium, 90,000 flashy lights, and it's the best <laughs> athletic moment of my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And then the ball lands in the hands of the most deadly return man ever in the history of football. And he takes it all the way back. <laughs> and while you were doing somersaults, I was feeling sick to my stomach. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, <laughs> You know, I don't know. I kind of, so I, what really happened, I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, that's never happened ever in the history of football. And <laughs> Opening football. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. And then I looked to my right, and there's Tony Dungy paying no attention to what happened. Calm as can be, just like you see him on Sunday Night Kickoff. And he's, he's just on his, he's, he's looking at his play sheet and he's talking to his, He's talking to his offensive coordinators about the first five scripted plays we always had. I look to my left, there's Peyton Manning talking to offensive coordinator Tom Moore, giving no credence to the celebration in the Bears end zone. It was like I looked at these two leadership giants on the team, and not, it was almost as if the play didn't happen, even though I'm freaking out. I'm like, my heart is pounding. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it. We're, we're not going to win this game. First play. And I look over and I look over to my right and my left, and it's like, oh, this is no big deal. Let's go. Let's go to work. And, you know, our whole philosophy in the – our culture was called the Colts way. And so our whole philosophy was um, no excuses, no explanations. A team never wins on emotion. It wins on execution. Whoever executes, whoever executes the best – most likely is going to win every time. And, and that's kind of what brought us to the, to the championship. So we just went to work and unfortunately y'all had Rex, Rex Grossman. Sexy <laughs> 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 ah, Rexy, man. Ah. I'm screaming at the, at the end of the game, I'm screaming the negative way. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Don't throw it there. Ah. No, that's well, never had a chance to really enjoy the Bears as a grown-up. Like I, as a as a child, they were bad. Yeah. The whole time. Well, listen. If we re rewind a little bit and, and we just take a different approach to it, it was the first time in history that two black coaches. Yeah, 
ever ever got to the to the Super Bowl. Number one, and number two, both of the coaches were outspoken servant leadership styles. Lovey Smith and Tony Dungy were who both made it to the biggest game on planet Earth. Both got there with a philosophy that believed in the human condition at work. If you build better men, you get better football players. There's no bias in that. It's, it's completely unilateral. It's about improving men and making them the best that they can be. And if they, if they become better men of integrity, better men of character, uh, better men of ownership, better men of courage, all of these things matter in life and in performance. And if we can improve that, then ultimately, not only is it going to have a, an effect on how well they play, but it's going to have an effect on how they live their lives. And it's going to make them, it's going to get, empower them to be more successful when, when the sport that they played since they were four years old is done. Mm. That was life-changing for me. Yeah. Like we talked about it a little bit before uh, we started recording. But the trophy that you have on your mountain in the back, can you talk about that and um, what it means to you? Oh, man. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Raheem. I mean, this, this, um, this is the Uncommon Leader Award. And Coach Dungy created this award over a handful of years ago. And uh, it's gone to some incredible people, Peyton Manning. It, um, ben Roethlisberger got it last year. I mean, it, it's it's supposed to ex symbolize um, individuals that live life in an uncommon way, and it, it, in a way that that goes against the flow of the world in many in many ways, in many aspects. And so, um, yeah, I'll never forget when I got the call from Coach Dungy. You know, he and his wife Lauren they pray about it every year and. They make a decision based up, purely based upon what they feel like God has spoken into their hearts, and and they called and and um, was going to honor me with that. And I just started, I lost it, man. I was just we I just lost it, like snot lost it, like I had to get tissues. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny. Like think about it. Like I I used to hit. I'm six, seven, 260 pounds. I'm not a small man. Like I, I used to hit people for a living and, and, you know, here is a man calling me and using words to edify me and affirm me. And I'm just turned into a puddle, but ultimately it's because of the way he lived his life. And the, 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 um, the uncommon award is a reflection of, of himself and the three men that had the greatest impact on his life, which was his father, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Cal Stahl, and, and uh, who was the coach, the head coach of the Minnesota Gophers when, when Coach Dungy was playing for, for the University of Minnesota. And so that you get, you, you get brought into that community or that family. And, and it, was, it was very special. I'll never forget it. And he'll, he'll always be one of the greatest miracles and one of the greatest answers to prayer in my life is, is Tony Dungy.
Can you go into a little more detail about what he said to you? Like when he called you, like uh, like, like what like what words did he say? Like when he said you're gonna get this award? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gosh, I was in my office. I was I was um trying to get some work done. I got the call, and well, first I looked down on the phone and I see you know I see his name pop up. <laughs> like that had to be great. Just I was. Should I just send this to voicemail just because? <laughs> no, so I, yeah, no, I just took it and and um, and he said, you know, you know this this is coming up here in the next few months, and just want you to know that that uh, Lauren and I have spent a lot of time praying about it, and um, you know, our our journey together was pretty miraculous, and and uh, we've always. We've always admired, you know, how you've lived your life and how you've treated your wife and how you've, you know, grown as a, as a father. You, you were always so much more as a man off the field than you were on the field. And, and that's why we want, you know, to honor you with this. And, and um, the award is actually given in Minnesota. And so I think it was really cool because everybody that's, at this event in Minnesota, um, grew up watching me play and stay home and play for the Gophers. So it, it was a really kind of a special moment for me because it was it was kind of like Tony, and he said this at the actual award event, he said, you know, sometimes people have this conception that awards are just gonna go to the A-listers like, you know, like the Peyton Mannings of the world, but but this award is different than that. This is about finding unique individuals who not only performed well at the highest level, but were able to to live uh, out a leadership um, life at the highest level. So all of that just is. I mean, I I don't. It's not, it makes me feel uncomfortable even talking about it, Royce, because mm -hmm. it, it, I don't. I still don't feel like I deserve it. Basically. You know, because I'm not a perfect person and I, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes and, and, and so just to, just to get it was, was a true honor and I'm just going to try to live up to it. You know, it's, you know, you get that award, it just sets the bar, man. So. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, this is another football question. All right. So, um, who's the <laughs> who's the greatest quarterback? What do you want me to say? <laughs> well, who's no, I'm the, trying to see what you're going to say. Are you going to be loyal to uh, to your quarterback? Is your question is your question who who won the most rings or who's no. the best quarterback? <laughs> the best. I who's mean, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man um okay so let me start by saying i think the third greatest quarterback ever to live is drew Brees. Mm. I, I just listen drew Brees is special i mean he's everything that you could ever want in a quarterback he's he's a great man great husband great father, great leader, franchise, you know, 
pass accuracy off the charts, you know, intelligence, game intelligence off the charts. You know, obviously you're, you're always going to have, it's always going to be Brady versus Manning. Mm-hmm. It's always going to go to Brady because of the rings. It's just, you can't overcome the rings. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, it's so head scratching. I mean, it, 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 but at the same time, I can't help but, and I'm biased. Let's be honest, I'm biased. <laughs> I know Royce is thinking, like, no, wait, Rex Grossman is the best. <laughs> don't, don't mess with Rex again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more Rex. No, Rex, Rex got us there, though. He, he did, though. I'm, to get us yeah, there. I'm totally messing. Yeah, I'm, I, he, he did. <laughs> he did. But, uh, yeah, listen, uh, what I can tell you is that Peyton was a true professional. So in my biased opinion, um, I don't, you know, obviously talent has something to do with it, coaching, the style of play, um, totally different defenses. I think Belichick had a different, uh, totally different coaching philosophy. They played a 3-4 defense. They had a totally different way of approaching the game. Um, Dungy played a, a, a very practical cover two um defense speed kills um and you know so if if peyton manning is on the new england patriots if the roles are switched it's probably horse apiece you know what i mean so they're both slow as hell (laughs) so it's not like it's not like you can you know it's not like vince young or michael vick or you know any of these quarterbacks that just change the game because of the speed um, they were just great passers, great, you know, they're, you know, great intelligence, you know, master chess players, nobody out, nobody out, um, pre- nobody out, um, prepared more than these guys. I mean, Peyton, here's one thing I'll tell you about Peyton. I, I, one of my greatest lessons that I learned from Peyton was that, um, you should always be a student of the game. Um, Peyton didn't care if it was a rookie or if it was a veteran. He was always going to listen to everybody. Any any piece of information that could make him better and give the team a better chance to win, he's going to listen to. He didn't have the pride to stand in the way of, you know, of that type of success. Like he he truly believed that like his role as a quarterback was to always learn. He was a champion learner. And that, that was, that was pretty profound for me. Can you talk about a little bit, uh, what it, what it was like to, to be a dad during all those experiences, like going through the, uh, being an NFL player and being a dad at the same time. Like, what was that like? Yeah. So I had, I had about a year and a half of that. Unfortunately, it it was all happening during my, uh, my, concussion my career any concussion but but um it 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 just changed everything changed right because you bring you bring new life into the world and your priorities begin to shift Mm. and you don't even realize that it's just subconscious it just starts to change right so Mm. it it, you know it's like coming across the middle isn't as easy anymore (laughs) i don't know how to explain it um, and, and I'm sure it's not true for everyone. It, it was for me, um, you know, but 
we had our first daughter in Cincinnati and I, I unfortunately had a number of um, pretty serious injuries that led to my retirement. And, and ultimately that was a huge factor was, especially with the brain, I started having some cognitive issues uh, from con- multiple concussions. And so it was time to ask some difficult questions. You know, is it, is it worth it anymore? And so that, that just became a reality. And having a family made that decision much easier. If you had a son, would you think uh, you would want him to play football? Based yeah, on that's, that's the question, right? That's the question. You know, I, I would. I, I think that uh, I, I've, you know, I've been a national advocate for brain health for athletes, but I've always taken the position that um, athletics, even contact sports, play a very pivotal role in the development of, of youth. And so, um, especially underprivileged youth, you know, I mean, and, and, that, and I'm not talking about, there's no race in that. It's just kids that don't have an opportunity, but they're very talented. This gives them an opportunity to do some great things through a, through a sport, through a game they love to play. And, and so I've always felt like there's, there has to be an, a hap, there's gotta be a balance to that. And the balance to me is educate yourself on how important the brain is to who you are as a human being. Um, and then use that education to make good decisions for your kids. Don't, you know, it's, it's, it, there's gotta be a balance, right? It's, it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not about, Oh, let's just, you know, forget about it. Just, just keep pushing them to play. No, it's, it's gotta be deeper than that. You know, their brain health is the makeup of who they are. And, you want them to have long and successful lives. And so, but at the same time, sports provides life lessons that no other, you know, no other, I guess, avenue or industry can, can provide. And so you want them to experience some of those things, to be challenged, to be part of a team and to deal with comparison, to deal with competition. I mean, all these things like are so powerful in developing, you know, young children. And so, so it's really that balance, you know, discovering and finding that balance between the two. Um, so my answer, my answer doc is, is um, if I had sons, I would do whatever I could to help them in their strength and their, in their um, agility skills um, up until 12 or so up until 12 or 13 non-contact 12 13 beyond mm-hmm. let's go yeah and that that comes out of actually that comes out of pediatric neurology right so a pediatric neurologist will tell you the most important developmental stages of a child's brain is zero to 12 if that's true then why put your child at higher risk because what you gain from ages seven to 12, does that really, how much of that really puts you on a division one football team? Not much. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Cause listen, there are, 
you you look at some of the tight ends in the in the league that are all pros that never played a lick of football in college. They're basketball players. And they entered the league after college. So there's gotta be there's gotta be a balance to it all. So so talk about um you talked about your daughters. How about your wife? So how long have you been married and uh what do you attribute the boss? The boss. Yeah. <laughs> what do you attribute to, <laughs> what do you attribute the, the longevity of your marriage to? Forgiveness. <laughs> That'll preach. <laughs> um no, my wife is uh I married up, fellas. I, I outpunted my coverage pretty 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 big, pretty big. <laughs> she um she is the strength to all my weaknesses. And and that's just just the way that it is. We don't have a perfect marriage. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it's you know, she's had to deal with my insecurities. She's had to deal with my weaknesses. She's had to deal with you know me retiring when I didn't want to, and and all the baggage that comes with having an identity that's wrapped up in a so much in a sport and having to re redefine yourself. You know, um, but I think it's it's that um courage and tenacity and and just pure grit mm -hmm. i think that that's what makes my you know it's what must make what it is what makes women so beautiful i mean there's just there's just no way around it and and um so i'm super blessed in that regard um she's she she always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom she just she just chose to do that thankfully because of my time in the nfl i was able to give her that the privilege of doing that and she's she's just turned it into she's just turned it into the job she's the ceo of the family you know she handles it she controls it i i like to think that i control it i don't you know <laughs> um but but you know, she's a very intentional woman. And, and I, again, I've used that word a number of times. I'm sure you guys agree. Like intentionality is so important in parenting, whether you're a father or a mother, like intentionality, like being willing to, um, you know, to take every situation of life seriously and to build processes and to build systems around how to use those different areas of life in a way that educates and develops your children. And she's that, she's that, she's that woman for me. So I just do whatever I can to please her. So I don't have to sleep on the couch. <laughs> I know you talked about how your wife, um, covers up some of your weaknesses, but like, what has your relationship with her taught you about you? Oh man, that's a great question. What has my relationship with her taught me about me? Man, I think, I think the importance of grace, mm. you know, grace is defined as to act with kindness or clemency. Um, but it doesn't mean that you don't demand less. So she still demands greatness out of me, but she, 
she's able to, she's also able to understand the, the types of situations I'm going through in life and, and to give kindness and clemency to that. And, and that's, that's really taught me how to pursue her and to pursue my daughters, you know? So she, she really is the greatest reflection for how I need to, to be um, a father to daughters. And, um, and she's very, you know, she, she pursues knowledge for that. It's another thing that I think is really important is to not just think that you know it all, but to actually go out and to, to seek the experts. And so, I mean, even, even this last week, she was reading the book um, about raising daughters in a, in a toxic culture. Um, and it, it, it was, it's written by a pediatrician. It's not a, it's not a psychology book. It's, it's actually written by a, a, um, a pediatrician with a medical degree. And it's her experience over her entire career of, of working with different types of, of young girls from infancy to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then she, and then she teaches me these things. And so sometimes I'm more open to it than others, but that, that's just, at the end of the day, she's, you know, she's kind of the pillar of what makes the family whole, yeah. you know, and that's, man, that's so powerful. No, it's real powerful. It's good stuff. Um, my next question is the question I already asked you, man, is uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And uh, you gave me a real short and sweet answer. And this is a good one. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, you said uh, love, giver, protector, leader, and coach. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? So love Love is to is to pursue my daughters with an unconditional perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, if I only love them based upon what I believe they should be, then I'm I'm going to hurt them. And and what I want to do is I want to embrace them for who I believe God created them to be, whether that's some some something or someone that I expected or or not. Right. So there's, there's the unconditional love side giver is to, is to, um, to be proactive as a parent and to do whatever I can to help them. I I, I don't want them to be entitled guys. I don't, I don't want, I think entitlement is a very dangerous occurrence that has happened in, 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 in children in our country. I don't want to entitle my children, but I want to empower them. I want to give them every opportunity, but I want to let go at that point. I want to open the door, but I want to let go and let them be the, the deciders of their fate. They have to make their own way because life is hard for all of us. It's hard and you got to fight and you got to go after what you want. Um, so that's love. That's giver, uh, protector. Like I shared, it's about it's about realizing that I'm the first example of what it means to be a man in their life. Period. 
I'm the, I'm the first example of what a hero is to them. And they watch. I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if it's the same with boys. I don't have them, but girls watch nonstop. They watch how I pursue my, their mom. They watch how I treat her. They're always, and they're protective of her. There have been times when they haven't approved of how I've reacted to her and they've stepped in. It's really kind of cool. It's really kind of cool. And it's, and it's sobering. It's sobering. I've had moments where I've been, I've been put in my place by my girls. Right. And they're like, no dad. And I'm like, whoa, okay. You're right. Holy cow. You're right. And so I think that that, you know, I think, um, I think being a protector, it really comes down to just being the best example of how a man should treat a woman, period. That's just, it is, that's what it is for me. Um, and then the last, what was the last one? Voice, I forgot. Uh, let me go back. Let me go back to it. Uh, one second. Coach. The coach, right. Coach. Yeah. 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 Train a child in the way that they must go. It's Old Testament. Train yeah, a child. My grandma loves that. She would say <laughs> that every time we meet or every time we have like a, a, a family dinner, that'll be the prayer. Now, <laughs> in a way, he should grow. And when he's older, he will not depart from it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's easy. <laughs> listen, fellows, for guy, you know, if, if you grew up hearing it, it's, it's easy to cast it aside. But when you when you think about it, especially if you've had a, any type of sports career, like training is nonstop. Training yeah. is the, the whole point of training is to um, is to take an individual's weaknesses and turn them into strengths, and. And that's not easy. You can do it the wrong way and you can really damage people. But you can also do it the right way and you can really empower and allow people to flourish. And that's my ultimate goal. I'm not going to do it perfectly. And I even tell the girls that because I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that you won't do it. Per you, you, you just won't be perfect at it. And, and it's 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 really important for my daughters to know that I'm not perfect and I'm going to fail. Um, but that my, that my, my foundational goal is to love them unconditionally, to give them every possibility to succeed, you know, to, to pour into their lives and to, and to do what I can to coach them and help them be, help them become the best that they can be, you know? And if I can love, give, protect, and serve them in those ways, you know, it's like, you know, it's the old cliche, do your best and forget the rest. Forget the rest. That's all, that's yeah. all you can do, man. I, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best and, I, and that, then I'm just going to, I've got to surrender them. I've got to give them, give them over. You know, but I'm going to I'm going to do what I can, you know, and that's that's all I got. Yeah, I was doing P90X, man, about five to ten. P90? Years that was one of the ones. <laughs> he was like, do, do your right. best. Forget do the rest. Best. Forget the rest. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, what's his name? Tony. Uh... He's a Tony. What's his name? Shoot. What's his yes. last name? 
Tony uh, Beachbody. What's his name? Yeah, Tony. I'm, I'm going to Google it right now. Dude, anyway. I'm struggling with it. I'm going to get it. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's good stuff, man. I appreciate it. Tony Horton. Tony Horton. Damn. My guy. Yeah, <laughs> man. man, you have you have a great perspective on life, man. I, I um, this has been one of my one of my favorites. Oh, listening to you, man, it's been awesome. Can we put it in the Hall of Fame, Doctor Young? Oh, <laughs> oh we yeah, Hall of Fame. It's a growing list of interviews. Doctor Young, can we put this in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> so number what number? What's that number behind you? Number 86. 86. 86, man. Let's go. <laughs> the Hall of Fame. The Welcome to Fatherhood Hall of Fame. Definitely. That's awesome. <laughs> now, this, is, this has been great, man. It's one of my favorites, too, man, for sure. Like, um, like what I like about doing this the most is, is just hearing the stories about, about dads, like the perspectives that dads have, like, uh, the more we dive into fatherhood, the more we can take nuggets from each other and make each other better. Yeah. You know, as men. It's so good. So good. So I know we're getting close to time, man. We kind of went over time a little bit. Who cares? That's awesome. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I do have one last question. Let's this, go. this question might seem like it's coming from left field, but um, I know you're from Minnesota. Are you a wrestling fan? Like I mean, a professional wrestler? Are you talking about Brock Lesnar? No. Uh, did you go to school with Brock Lesnar? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have two questions. <laughs> so I, I was going to ask about the, the Road Warriors because they're, they're from Minnesota. Yeah, but um, we can flip that. We can go to Brock Lesnar. How how was Brock Lesnar, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I, this has to be true. No matter if you're a top ten wrestling college wrestling team in the country, there's you really can't put it into words what these guys have to go through. You know, I I remember. Um, you know, University of Minnesota is probably always, they're always top five. They're, they're a great wrestling program. Yeah. And um, we would be heading out to football practice and we would see a van drop off a bunch of wrestlers with 45 pound plates and they would literally just take off. And when we would end practice three hours later, they would just be running back wow. to the facility with the 45 pound plate upon their head. Like it's just a different, it's just a different mentality, you know? And Brock, you know, small town, North Dakota. I mean, you can go back and watch videos of him, like literally, like they've got videos of him like on on these like North Dakota highways, no, no cars. He's got this like tree trunk on his shoulders and he's doing lunges down the side of the highway. <laughs> um, but honestly, like we'd be in, we'd be in, we'd be in the gym and we'd be doing our stuff. And 
down at the far end by himself with a, with a couple of trainers was Brock, and he had six six forty five pound plates on each side, and he's squatting that. He's squatting that. I mean, he's a serious man, serious man, and he's six four he, at the time, six four two hundred and seventy eighty pounds. That's a big. That's a big man, yeah. and that's natural. So you know, it's like All muscle. Now oh. WWE things changed a bit, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has um, changed. Like you can see it in his body. Over yeah, the years. yeah. No, but I, I will say, like, just you know, there's there's a there's a very special there's a like proactive. I don't even know if there's a scale for for the work ethic that it takes to be a successful wrestler in in college. I mean, it's it's a different it's a different mindset. You know, it's, um, and I really respect those guys big time. Yeah. That's what, um, something I told my son. So like to, the strongest athletes are wrestlers or gymnasts. Yeah. That's like those two are crazy with, with the strength. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, so my daughter was, uh, this last weekend was, uh, in Florida, Orlando, at a club volleyball national tournament, which was really cool to be a part of. But I, I was on the way on the, the flight home, I watched Miracle, the 1980 gold medal hockey uh, movie against the Russians. Yeah. And, you know, Herb Brooks as the head coach, his whole, his whole philosophy was, um, was developed around how do I take these young boys, these young men, um, and show them that they're capable of so much more? And when you, when you watch the movie from that perspective, you begin to understand the reason why he did some of the tactics that he did, which to so many people would be like athlete abuse. <laughs> It'd be like, holy crap, what are you serious? But the way that he did it, um, with the strategy that he did it with, when you go back to, you know, what Royce, what your grandma was always preaching to you and what I always heard, like, yeah, like it's just he was training the child in the way that they must in the way that they would go. Yeah. Uh, it just was doing it in a very intentional and strategic way man so whether it's wrestling or i mean that's what great coach see one of the things as a chief culture officer that i always say is that culture is the leader's choice period culture is the leader's choice it's not the it's not the employee's choice or or the athlete's choice it's the leader's choice you set that you set the you set the tone and and that is you know when, when you've got leaders in place that 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 are really talented not only at the x's and o's of sports but are really talented at the x's and o's of people now you've got some now you've got the right combination not only are you going to get better at fundamentals and techniques but you're going to become a better human and that is the difference maker at the end of the day period that's powerful that's real powerful man so my last question would be, if you had to give advice to any dad that's listening right now, 
And what would that advice be? Don't piss off your wife. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great advice. That is great advice. <laughs> well, how do you do that, Ben? <laughs> Give us more, please. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, you know, okay, here, here, here's, here's, this is really practical. Here's, here's really practical. Pause. Mm. Just pause. You know, there's a, and I'm, listen, I, I, I'm sure you've got lots of different listeners, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, to, to preach the pastor's kid, but I think there's a really cool, it's a really cool lesson that says, uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Man, that's so good. Just pause. Pause. Like, when things aren't going your way, dads, when you're frustrated, when you're annoyed, when you're overworked, you know, um, when you're underserved, whatever, whatever it is that's occurring that's causing frustration or disappointment, just pause, breathe, just take a moment and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And a lot of times that will resolve any type of conflict or tension that you find yourself in with your family. Just give it a moment, just pause, breathe, and, uh, and then react, you know, versus what we typically do with guys and we get angry and we just react, you know, and then that, then we have to spend the next couple of days, like making up for it. And, you know, <laughs> it's just true. No, I like that, man. Like, uh, we've been, we, we, we've done, uh, we've, we've put out 66 interviews up to this point right now that, that, that people are listening and the number one thing, if we had to do like the um, the Family Feud version of Welcome to Fatherhood, the number one answer would be be present. Sure. Be in the moment. That's good. That's all we have. Right? The number two would be listen. So you did. You, you kind of broke both of them down, like right then and there. So, like uh, that's that's important to to really be there, because um, the best advice I got from a dad that we interviewed was uh, women want two things, either for you to fix it or for you to listen. Nothing else, mm. only two things. And that was uh, Alan Stevens. I'll give him a shout out right now. Listen or, uh, or fix it. So both of those things require action. Right. And that's really, I, I feel like you're so, you're so spot on there. And then who was yeah. it? It's props to him because that's, that's, yeah. that's really good. And, and both of those things require action. I think that that, listen, I, I know we're in a very unique world right now, but I, I'm not going to shy away from the differences between men and women. And, and the reality is, it's like my girls respond very, very well when I pursue them, period whether it's fixing things, whether it's listening, if I come after them, if I, if I am intentional with my actions and I pursue them, that is a, 
it's so powerful for these for these women for these young girls they just they want to see men come after them yeah you know that's that's huge let's go i mean that that'll preach that whole thing right there is a nonprofit organization right there come after me let's go <laughs> that in itself is a, is a nonprofit right there <laughs> now uh but, but, man, man, that's that's definitely powerful, man. Ben, I, I really appreciate your time and your candor and your story. Uh, this, this is probably something we could do a part two on, man, because I, I know go. more is more to unpack. So, uh, <laughs> Dr. Young, did you have uh, anything else? Any other questions or uh, anything other statements? No, no more questions. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. You know, thank you, and we uh, I appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks, boy. I uh, appreciate, it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's been a great conversation. We've um, we've had like the opportunity to talk to uh, other NFL players, especially from this that Super Bowl game. But um, this is the first time that we got to talk to someone from from the the victors uh, side of the field. <laughs> so <laughs> so that that was interesting just to hear that um, hear that perspective <laughs> of how how you saw uh, you know that that run back at the start of the game. So, no, that was cool. I'll leave, I'll leave, I'll leave you with this. So our, our Super Bowl ring, uh, and I'm not trying to rub it in, Royce. <laughs> our, our, our Super Bowl, our Super Bowl ring is the only ring in the history of the NFL to have a belief system of our culture written on the side of the ring. It's the word faith. Wow. And it didn't have to do with church. It wasn't about religion. Um, the acronym that describes it as freedom for all individuals to trust and hope in each other. Mm. And ultimately that was Dungy's main goal to take 53 of the most diverse and egotistical men on the planet and bring them together and create a brotherhood, true family, you know, and that I, I fellas, that's what I love about sports. It, it, it you know, ultimately it, it really shows what we're all capable of. And it's powerful. And, yeah. and that goes from friendship, parenting, marriage. I mean, it's all there, you know. And so thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, I definitely really appreciate it, man. So don't hang up. Because what we have, what we have happen is uh, dads, they hang up right away. As soon as we're done, uh, hang up. So we're going to have a small post game. So don't hang up. So. Okay. Sounds <laughs> good. So for myself, for Sir Royce Bialis, for Dr. Raheem Young, and for Ben Utech, thanks for listening to Welcome to Father Interviews, and stay tuned for further announcements.